You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. You go. <laughs> hey guys, this is Jesse with the Voluntary Vixens, <laughs> and I have Maddie back here bossing me around, telling me to do this. And um, yeah, we did a really awesome show with John from the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And we had a really good conversation about just how to get more females involved in the liberty movement, which we do. We need to get more girls in in here and have more of a sisterhood. And um, I think that you guys will enjoy what me and Maddie had to say, and I'm not going to spoil it so that you guys listen to it. Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, it's nice to get a different topic thrown in here sometimes. And um, I know I always appreciate when we're on another person's podcast and they, I just, I'm I'm much better at answering questions <laughs> than, um, than, you know, me asking questions. Um, so definitely... Definitely was fun, and um, we had a good conversation, and we hope that you enjoy it. Uh, we wanted to give you a little something on your feed, um, or our feed, I should say, um, while we're kind of taking a little snoozer, or a little break, a little vacation. Yep. All right? So. All right. So, well, listen, enjoy, and, and um, enjoy. I'm just very excited to have uh, these guests on today who I will bring on in just a minute because you guys know one of the issues that we, we face in libertarianism is trying to get enough people involved in the liberty movement. And one demographic that we are just failing miserable at is with women. And I, I don't understand why the message of liberty doesn't resonate as much with women as it does with men. I just... I, I just can't really wrap my head around it, and that's probably because I have this uh, male perspective. So anytime I can get some libertarian women on the podcast to sort of pick their brains about this, I'm going to try to do it. And I am very excited to bring on the Voluntary Vixens. They've got a really cool podcast. I don't know if you guys have heard of them or not, but you should go check them out. The Voluntary Vixens. It's Maddie and Jesse. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the show. Not too much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I I must say I love the name Voluntary Vixens. It seems very apropos based on uh, what I know about you guys and what I've heard. Um, Why don't you tell me for, you know, because I found out you guys from the um, just that random group that we were just added to on Mm -hmm. Twitter. That's how I found (laughs) you guys. So for anybody who doesn't know who the Voluntary Vixens are, why don't you guys give us a little backstory, how you guys found each other, how you got into libertarianism, all that good stuff. Jesse, you want to go first? <laughs> or do you um, like whatever you want? <laughs> well, uh, well, what we do basically is we just have conversations. Like I think the, the beginning of our, um, our earlier episodes were just us just kind of talking about you know, things going on in the culture 
our views on, on those things. Um, we come from a voluntarist background or, you know, philosophy. So we have a little bit of a different opinion on things than maybe the mainstream culture is. Um, Maddie and I actually met in a, um, should we name the person's podcast that we kind of met on through? We could. We found each other and a bunch of other cool people um, in the Jason Stapleton (laughs) um, (laughs) Facebook group of all places. And, um, you know, a bunch of we Jesse and I are just uh, two members of like what ended up being a large group of people. We kind of uh, moved on and, you know, joined a different group um, as people are allowed to do, you know, do what you want. Um, we're all for voluntary actions and decisions, right? Um, so yeah, and then we kind of just Jesse and I have never met in person. Um, really. Yeah. So and um, but we knew each other online for a while, and you know, in this in this crazy clown world, upside down era, it's I I feel like it's probably pretty relatable to even some of your listeners that. You guys know people online that you've become really close with and maybe have uh, luckily eventually met in person. But, um, you know, it's kind of hard to find like minded people that care Mm -hmm. about the same things you do and or care as passionately as you do about like what we consider the most important issues. And um, so, like Jesse was saying, we kind of in the beginning, at least like so our podcast has been around for two years now, um, which blows my mind every day. But, um, and just how much we've grown and kind of evolved since, because yeah, it used to be mostly just Jesse and I checking in on a weekly, bi-weekly basis on um, the crazy events of the world and how to try to stay sane um, <laughs> while that was all happening. And, you know, we figured that um, there was a niche to be filled. Like there might be some more female driven podcasts out there, um, but not many. And, you know, mad respect to uh, the, the ones that do exist, like, uh, for example, the Freckles and Brit show, Holler yeah. Girls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, and, but we just kind of uh, wanted the excuse to talk to each other about things we cared about. And again, you know, felt that if it was beneficial for us to talk to each other and sort of vent to each other about this stuff, like somebody else would benefit as well. And, you know, I know I'm a huge um podcast devourer so I know I've gotten so much benefit from other people talking about these things and and so much I've learned from others that um I figured you know even if Jesse and I aren't you know like rocket scientists and we're not Tom Woods um we had something to contribute at least yeah. mm-hmm. that that is actually really funny because I was also in that Jason Stapleton <laughs> That's funny. And, yeah. And we started our podcast probably around the same time. I think it's been about two years. I don't know, two and a yeah. half, maybe something like that. Yeah. Oh man. Small world. But it I was basically small. just there for the memes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't do a lot yeah. of, uh, a, a lot of like Facebook engagement. I, I'm just terrible on social media. I really just, you know, post memes and look at memes and every once in a while I'll engage with other people, but I mean, that's usually why I'm to. on, on those <laughs> things. <laughs> Social media is a bit of a trap. I mean, there's yeah. definitely benefits to it. And 
obviously like that's how Jesse and I met and um, all of our other like close internet friends. Uh, I call us the Island of Misfit Toys, or I should say I called us past tense because Facebook nuked our group. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Must've been doing something right then. Yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, we take it as a badge of honor. We're like, all right, finally, like, so yeah, I guess Jesse, when was that officially? Like, cause I stopped kind of hanging out there because Facebook sucks, but I think it was honestly around the election. Yeah. What a coincidence. (laughs) Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like what Soviet tactics. (laughs) And it is, I do struggle with the Uh same issue of trying to find like-minded individuals that you can just talk to. I I had the same, pretty much the same impulse as to why I wanted to start a podcast because I had to get a lot of this stuff off my chest. And um, one of the things I have been thinking about is like bringing on a co-host, but like, how the hell do you find a co-host like this day and age? And they'll find you. (laughs) Maybe yeah, Jason Stapleton Facebook group. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) It's probably it probably didn't get nuked like the rest of us. Yeah. I think the part of the problem, um, Facebook group also got nuked, um, or at least like you know suspended at the same time we did. Yeah. I remember that happening. Yeah, and I think they just canceled it after that or something. Yeah, because they were like, you know, why bother? So yeah. So uh-oh. we just lose Jesse. Well, for once, my internet isn't the one to fail. <laughs> hey, welcome back. I don't know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good. We're just talking about uh, traveling and extending my visa from Mexico. Oh, okay. Anyway, I forget what we were talking about before then. Um, um, like your drive to start your podcast was kind of also like similar to ours that we had so much to kind of say and nobody really locally to say it to. So why not start a podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... If you don't mind, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but where are you guys located? I'm in Maryland. Okay. It sucks. <laughs> Which is different from Central and West Tennessee, culturally. And that's that's where sure. you are? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I am I'm I was up in Chicago, so yeah, there's, we are kind of, well, at least me and uh, Maddie were behind enemy lines. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know yes. much about Tennessee, but I imagine there there might be some more liberty minded individuals over there. Yeah. yeah, I used to live in Chicago for a little bit too, so I'm well familiar with yeah. Chicago politics. <laughs> it keeps getting worse too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned the the most important libertarian issues or the most important issues to you guys which is one yeah. of the reasons why you wanted to start the podcast and i am very interested to get the woman's perspective on the most important libertarian issues i mean i think the easy big one is the fact that our federal government is and has been conducting untold and un like unbelievable amounts of destruction, including like the loss of lives and actual, you know, murder um, overseas. And even like when they're not actively killing people, um, you know, the meddling in other countries' elections. And it's just, and I think that's relevant right now because of course, Biden had that (laughs) ridiculous comment if you're paying attention to any anything in the world and so like people in other countries are probably just laughing at us um where biden made the comment trying to like you know 
put Putin in his place and trying to say, you know, could you imagine like if the U.S. was meddling in other people's elections? It's like, oh, my God, like that is either the most tone deaf thing I've ever heard or just it's probably very much a propaganda message to like gaslight people like us who actually might know what's going on. Um, so, I mean, like that was sort of the last like that issue, like war and our foreign policy was my one, probably my last like real scales fall from the eyes issues. Um, like I came from sort of the right. I've always been a registered independent, but I've come from the right, you know. So, you know, I that's probably most um, people's on the right's worst issue. Like they don't realize just what is going on over there and why that's bad. And you know, it's not just about hunting down bad guys. It's about spreading our empire, which it's like, we never signed up to be an empire. That sounds like a terrible idea. Like we know looking at history that the Roman empire, like the reason it fell was because of, you know, it spread itself too thin. It um, suffered from crazy inflation. Um, it was attacked on the outside outskirts by, you know, other stronger, um, you know, native groups there that didn't want to be ruled. Surprise. Like what, who wants to be ruled? Like that's never, it's never somebody's like first instinct though. Actually I take that back because <laughs> it seems like people this year really, really wanted uh, to be ruled. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is just unbelievable how all of our politicians talk to death about interference in our elections. And if you know anything about what our government has been doing overseas and like, I actually saw a meme about this earlier and just listed for like the last 80 years or something, like all the elections we've interfered with and like, yeah, it's, it's really unbelievable. And I mean, and certain ones that like Biden in particular, like being the vice president and being as close to all that action as he was, I mean, how dare he? Like, unless he's really like, again, lost his marbles, which we know that's questionable and probably fair that some of the marbles are lost and they're never going to be found. Um, but, you know, like what went on with Ukraine, um, what went on with Honduras, like those are it's Syria, um, Libya. Like, I mean, Libya was a little like, we don't even care about your election uh, or who your leader is that whatever, like <laughs> they had an election at, at some point, I think, and Gaddafi was the guy, I don't really know, but either way, like it's all meddling and interfering, like it's interventionism and mm -hmm. that's, there's nothing else he can do to describe it. And that, that is like kind of the hilarious thing about having Biden in there right now. Cause you don't know if he's just like lying or he really doesn't remember the last like 30 yeah. years of our foreign I, policy. Yeah. It's just, well, I feel abused <laughs> by it. Mm -hmm. And, and Jesse, uh, before you cut out again, <laughs> what uh, do you feel the same way? You're like the anti-war, anti-interventionist is are the biggest issues for you as well. Yeah, those are probably my biggest issues. Um, I that was always one of the things that when I was a quote Republican is that I always hated how our foreign policy was. I like the idea of like conserving the government, it being small, you know, promoting uh, free markets and things like that. But 
the more time went on, of course, that's not what the Republican Party was doing. And on top of that, we're like glorifying war as if it's something heroic and wonderful when we're the ones starting the wars and we're the ones oppressing people. Yeah. Yeah. And they play off of that, the whole patriotism angle. Yeah. You're such a hero. Yeah. And it, it, it is sad. Like, you know, in, that is again just like masterful propaganda and it gets us to our core because of course like things like the land and the place that we with that we call home and what we think has given us freedoms and sets us apart from other countries and sets us apart from other uh, nations and throughout history you know like it's the programming we got in school, like, you know, and I, and it's sad because again, like I do feel like there is and was something very special about the founding of our country and the ideals that, you know, we were based on, but those do not seem to have upheld or, you know, there's no, if you actually look at what's going on and what they do in Washington and then what, what their actions do or, you know, cause overseas, it's like, there is nothing um, still remaining of those maybe good mm-hmm. ideals that we were founded upon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny because the only time I remember uh, our education system being critical of the U.S. is like the founding of the nation and our right? of the Indians or Native Americans. And everything else we've been doing, just slaughtering millions of people on the other. Yeah, right? Like, that's all cool. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, it's, no, that's a, that's a good juxtaposition, honestly. And I, and I've worked in the school system for a bit too. And, um, you know, like nothing. And even in particular, like history classes, I was, uh, doing ESOL work and, um, I was working in like history for en- English speakers of second language or, you know, whatever it's, depends on where you are like what acronym they they um they choose but so it's funny just like you know the the issues they pointed out were only that slavery existed and maybe they weren't as nice to women as they should have been or the native americans you yeah, know christopher columbus just like yeah oh yeah what an asshole fdr woodrow wilson they're you know they're yeah so- <laughs> they're golden yeah, no, those are the high priests. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys get into libertarianism to begin with? Because we, um, it sounds like we all eat from Ron Paul. <laughs> okay. You too, yeah. Ron Paul. Um, not Ron Paul, really. Like, even though and it's funny, because I mentioned how, um, like, foreign policy was sort of the last thing to really, like, hit me and wake me up. Um, but it was kind of just like a long progression of things that, you know, I came from sort of a right background, um, was always pretty contrarian and asked questions and like independent minded. And so, you know, I kind of just like skittered down different rabbit holes as I could, but it was, uh, I do give a lot of credit to Rand Paul um, for kind of like giving me the last spark necessary to go down this like questioning American foreign policy and um how not conservative that was so um it was at a CPAC because again I was you know a little misconservative and I went to CPAC and um (laughs) and Rand Paul was on stage and you know 
was getting like rock star applauses at this time. It was it was like pre-Trump era, obviously. Um, it was probably like 2014, maybe. And um, and he said something like, you know, that got easy applause, which was how much we hate big government here, right? Like all everybody in the room cheered it. And then he's like, made the simple point of, but how about this big government stuff we're doing abroad? And I was just like, hmm. he's right. Like it's a government program. And so it actually made me start looking more critically as to at, at what was going on overseas. Cause I was in sixth grade when the towers fell. So anything I knew about what was going on overseas was very, you know, oversimplified, like them bad, us good, us victims, them attackers. And just, it was, you know, with a swept with a broad brush that, um, we were clearly over there defending our freedoms and responding to that attack. So, you know, Rand Paul got me um, really like working on that direction. And then I spent a year in Chile, devoured a ton of podcasts because I had nothing else to do. And while I was teaching and had so much alone time that, um, you know, I found Tom Woods, I found um, Stefan Molyneux. And then when I got back, I, let Dave Smith, let Dave Smith really like throw the cold water in my face and uh, became anti-war. And I don't know, here I am. So you were in Chile. Mm-hmm. What? Um, how was the uh, political climate there? What was that like? Were there a lot of libertarian-minded people you'd run into? No. Um, no. Um, so. I don't know. Chile's a very interesting place. I do suggest people, especially like liberty-minded people, like go check it out. Like, especially you, because you've got options, but actually it's probably severely locked down right now and you don't want to go there because I've, for a long time, I was still getting, even up through most of this year, I was still getting emails from the embassy and they were just telling me about all the lockdowns and the quarantine, like mandated quarantines and stuff, which you don't do to healthy people, but that's a different story. Um, and, but so Chile was super interesting as like a, an observer who cares for Liberty. And, um, cause like, if you know anything about Chile, like it's history was, I guess in like the late seventies is when I Salvador Allende came to power and, um, was, I guess, democratically elected. Right. You know, and, but he was like socialist leaning. And um, so, yes, there's a certain amount of propaganda that I think exists that paints him as evil. I don't think any of his policies were a good idea. I do think like the further or the longer he might've been in power, the more destructive his policies would have been and we would have seen more damage done by them. And um, I think that, you know, again, like, you know, I, I very critical of the Vietnam war and like there is an element of again propaganda and messaging that we're supposed to like the red scare was messaging right like so but you know we know from history that communism is severely dangerous to its people like it's uh like a communist government is very dangerous to its people so Salvador Andy was sort of heading in that direction and then there was a government and military coup it does seem like Pinochet was 
elected like two thirds of the parliament in Chile. Like I know, again, here's some more propaganda. Like he was certainly CIA backed. Like there's some more uh, U.S. Uh, you know intervention for you, but but it seemed on the ground that it was also very popular for him to take over. And so he did. And I think it's still a controversy and a question as to whether, you know, the the coup, coup participants killed Allende or he killed himself. Um, still a question. But so that was like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And then they went through, I don't know, Pinochet might have been in power for like 13 years or so, definitely at least a decade. But um, and again, people, you know, point to his war you can't call them war crimes but you know domestic crimes that a government would inflict upon its people of um you know disappearing and physically removing communists or (laughs) suspected communists um and again it's no it's not a forgiveness at all but he kind of re restructured the economy to be more private sector more free market I will say, you know, of course you see, like once you're looking and paying attention and kind of know that it's a thing for free markets to be corrupted by the government and um, all of a sudden they're not free markets, like definitely, definitely see still the signs of cronyism. So you have to imagine like that, you know, started under him. And so that was like one of the solutions, wasn't a very good one as it never is. Um, So it's just like an interesting on the ground experience that they just went through this crazy time in their political history very recently and and so people are very like mixed and they don't get to really talk about it much I don't think um not sure exactly like why but uh what was interesting was one night I oh and they all had like questions for me about why I didn't like Obama (laughs) like because like the other uh the other teacher that was with me there he was um like super happy-go-lucky male liberal from DC and you know nice guy um i'd love to have a beer with him again if we ever you know get to but um he was just again happy go lucky uh liberal and so they he loved obama and they found it interesting that i didn't um but yeah i mean chili's interesting uh but i spent a night like a late night talking to gay students of mine about how much they ha- they didn't like Obama and didn't trust Obama. It was just like, you know, like total mixed bag of like unpredictable. And um, I like if I think it's so studyable, <laughs> like if I had all the time in the world to go live back there and study political and economic um, history and influence, I would. But, you know, can't can't do all that fun stuff. Yeah. And, and Jesse, what about you? What about the Ron Paul campaign was so appealing to you or like sort of nudged you in the direction of libertarianism? Well, I guess um, when I back in 2007, I went to India and I by chance happened to buy the book by John Stossel, Give Me a Break. And he had talked about uh, India, actually. Um, in the book about just the corrupt of corruptness of the government there and how it's so hard to just open a business. And, um, but in Hong Kong, you can just sign a sheet of paper and you can open a business that day. But in India, you have to make all kinds of, um, it fell all kinds of paperwork. You have to bribe a whole bunch of people 
and you have to make a case that you can open a business and, you know, just, it was so much work. And on top of that, India is just such a corrupt government that um, it really only benefits certain people in, in that, you know, you know, the caste system in India, most people understand what that is. So if you're poor and you come from a different caste, there's just not a whole lot. So I thought that interesting that on this trip, I bought this book in like, you know, an airport gift shop and I started reading about it. But he also mentioned um, libertarianism in it. And he also talked about um, some of that free market low you know government involvement and then all of a sudden within like a year ron paul comes up and i was like i've heard all this stuff before and it sounded good and um i was just amazed that there was a politician that was willing to talk about all of it uh-oh uh-oh we lost her again <laughs> all right round two there we go i think we were talking about india and the caste system <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah. I was wondering how far I got there. Um, so anyways, mm-hmm. the, the point is I bought that book from uh, John Stossel and it kind of gave me like a good overview. He mentioned libertarianism or classical liberalism in the book. And then I think the following year is when Ron Paul ran for president in 2008. So I had kind of already had the ideas in my mind, but it was nice to see a politician actually speaking the truth and like being just genuine up there. And at that point, I just felt like this is the direction we need to go as a society. So. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting when you kind of have these feelings that something isn't right with your ideology or whatever. And then somebody just gets up there and says it perfectly and puts everything Mm -hmm. into focus and I actually read one of John Stossel's books too when I was first sort of finding libertarianism, but it was the mm-hmm. No, They Can't, like why government always fails or something. Yeah. Um, and that was like, a, you know, it was sort of like a milk toast libertarian book that just sort of, you know, everything that the government promises they're going to do, he just like yeah. dissects how they fail miserably at it. And that was sort of a nice little stepping stone for me. I think yeah. I probably would have been receptive to a more radical message, but I, I just didn't know how to find those at the time. You know, they're like, you gotta, you gotta they're know. They're not something. allowed. Yeah. You know? yeah. Right. And so honestly, they were all hanging out in the podcast universe. Really. Yeah. And um, I'm so good. Go ahead. Yeah, that was it. Oh, um, well, so one thing I'm really interested in is why, there aren't more women like you guys in the libertarian movement. And I'm hoping you guys have all of the <laughs> answers because oh. I've talked to some other libertarian women. There are a few of you. Um, and it's nice to have one that isn't a redhead. For once, but. <laughs> Dear God, what a trope, if that's the right word. Like, <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. I just don't understand why the the message of liberty doesn't resonate more with women, and maybe it does, and I'm just wrong about that. But I look at I look at the numbers, and you know, I see who's involved in all of these libertarian groups and everything like that. And you guys are severely underrepresented. We are, and it's uh, depressing, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be frank, um, Jesse, you want to tackle first, or? Well, I mean, one of the things I think that is the different it really is just the difference between men and women and how their brains work and they do work differently 
Women yes. are a lot more emotional. Um, we have a larger corpus callosum, which means that we have much more of a bridge to our emotional side of our brains. And it's always interfering with our ability to be logical at times, which most men are probably <laughs> thinking, God, you know, I've been trying to figure this out forever. <laughs> um, but that has a lot to do with it. And, um, you know, I think that we just think differently. We're just more emotional creatures. So we're going to be much more susceptible to the emotional propaganda that we see on the news. Um, we see uh, the children at the border in cages and we're going to be like, why can't Trump just be a good guy? You know, <laughs> but um you know, me and Maddie are a little bit more different because I think we're just, you know, I'm not sure why, but some women just are much less emotional, maybe. And we let logic in every once in a while. <laughs> but it could also just be that maybe we have um, our, like our parents raised us differently. We, like I had a, a father who was, he's an engineer. So he was very, very much like involved, but also he was very educational and teaching me how to think differently and how to reason out things and listen and not let my emotional side take over too much. But um, I do think more women could be on our side. It's just a messaging thing. We, we have um, a lot of men who are in charge of the messaging and they are really good at grabbing onto on other men but maybe not so good at grabbing women into the movement by using different techniques. Yeah. So not great at like corralling women at large, like might be more <laughs> able to win over us that kind of happen to be fanatics for logic and reason. Um, and we go out and search for those you know, controversial or opposing mm -hmm. ideas, because I don't like Jesse's probably like this too, but I, it's, I don't know, like, I'm going to sound like a bitch or some crazy, like psycho saying this, right. But like, I need to be right. <laughs> like, I <laughs> need to know that what I believe is the truth as far down the truth rabbit hole as we can get. And so, you know, it, it, if that's like my ideal, I don't care about other things and, you know, other just different layers of, and of caring and, you know, political affiliations and, you know, liking a particular politician, you know, just different layers of that stuff got to fall away. And like, once you have the truth being your ideal, you know, I think, um, I've been driven to just keep heading in that direction, no matter what kind of, uh, like unpopular or um, harsh truths and harsh realities mm -hmm. I was, uh, I was encountered with. And, yes. you know, I will say it's not like Jesse and I are just making friends left and right, like having these unpopular opinions. <laughs> right. So, so like evolutionarily women needed to, you know, the men went out and hunted and women stayed behind to continue to like farm and gather food and forage and take care of the children and be with each other. And so, you know, we tend to be more agreeable because we've had to be like, that's what got us through. Um, that's what made us successful um, and how we've gotten to this point. And so, 
you know, that's why most chicks are just agreeable. And like a lot of people will, a lot of girls will, I don't know, it's, it's been interesting, like watching, I think women be so misled and, and propagandized and mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know how it's been like, they've been, their brains have been tapped into um, by like, you know, an, an example would be the radical feminist movement, perhaps, or just these progressive socialist Democrats. Like, I, I maybe again, it's like still back to the agreeableness and the solidarity and they feel like that's their group and they've been, you know, without a group for so long. And um, I don't know, it's weird to find, to see them try to act out against what they're calling is the patriarchy, but really it's just like basic societal norms um, that have gotten us millions of years um, down the line. <laughs> yeah, that that's sort of a weird uh, dichotomy or ju- I don't know what the right word is, juxtaposition or something, because there's this huge push for women to be independent, you know, uh, mm-hmm. strong, independent, independent women. Right, but then they're just- Or alone. Right, they're, they're like- de- <laughs> but they're still dependent on the state. Um, yeah. They want this huge nanny state to take care of everyone. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I don't understand how you sort of um, square that circle, but um, was it, <laughs> was it Jason Stapleton? who used to always say uh, we all make decisions emotionally and then justify them logically or something like that. Maybe. No. I don't know, but that makes sense. But it, yeah. It sounds right. Like, yeah. Somebody would always talk about that. I I feel like it was him, but maybe it was just because we were talking about him earlier. Yeah. Um, So what is like the best emotional argument to to take on to sort of attract women to to our philosophy? Because you're right. Nobody becomes a libertarian to become popular. It's it's definitely the exact opposite. I mean, Um, the biggest thing is if you really care about if you really care about poor people, if you really care about minorities, if you really care about women's rights, if you really care about human beings and what is best, the best way to do that is by respecting people's rights, respecting people's ability to make their own choices and associate freely. And that is through voluntarism. If you truly care about helping people, don't wait for government to do it. You yourself as an individual are most equipped to do those things. And you can recruit people through kindness, through similar ideas to help you along with those goals. But don't sit around and wait for the big daddy government to do it for you. And don't waste your energy, you know, complaining to them to do what they should be doing. You have to do it yourself. And I mean, that's really, truly like the most emotional argument, because um as women, we really, truly do like to help people. We have that nurturing spirit. What better way to do that than through voluntarism? I've also got a thought. Um, and I say this, at, like, I feel like I'm able to maybe make some more, I don't know, Jesse, you, you'll probably have thoughts too. But um, so I think that one way to get a, like a subsect of women more interested and open to the ideas of liberty um and i think we've seen sort of how this has happened this year is go get the moms i don't know like figure out how to get the moms involved so like if you're a a male listening and you've got a wife who like maybe isn't um totally in line with you and your political or ideological beliefs 
I feel like, you know, it's again, it's going to sound not right, but like using the children, like imagine, like there's nothing stronger for a mother than her emotional ties to her children and their well-being, unless mm-hmm. you're a psychopath and you shouldn't have been a mother. Um, so, you know, like think about this past year, women who were not libertarians are outraged at the fact, or at least like, again, sane women, women that you might have a chance of reaching. Um, The sane women were outraged that their child had to wear a mask all year and some still are, you know? Um, So it's funny, like a lot of the women from like the rational ground group um, that Tom Woods talks about and has talked to a bunch. And we, we just talked to one woman on our podcast. um, That'll be coming soon. But like these women weren't libertarians. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of started stumbling along those lines and have probably evolved and and will we will win them over like as libertarians because of their outrage that the government was clear. Like they either could see it clearly that the government was lying or they found that out later because of the outrage and the control over their children that the government decided to suddenly have. And so I think, you know, the moms are going to be if, if, and I'm, I'm still probably not the best person to try to do that, but moms, <laughs> because they are, I, again, it's supposed to be something mm-hmm. that um, has developed um, through the process of evolution and what's been successful in keeping families like going and together and like successful child rearing. Um, you know, moms that care most about their children and about their well-being and about their success and like not in an Oedipus way where they kind of spoil and ruin them, which is definitely a, an issue. And, um, you know, hella toxic masculinity, like that's their problem. Um, but yeah, that might, that's my idea um, or thought that those might be at least an, uh, an obvious or easier um, subsect of people to try to get the messages like like Jesse said like you know empathy get them to get them to like have their empathy triggers triggered mm-hmm. um like when it comes to like poor starving children or you know a, a, some some one that's like a really easy thing to have women um tricked into like sympathizing with is the like uh school lunches right and so like there's this is a severely complex and multi-layered issue right but and so like as somebody who doesn't believe that the department of education should exist like we shouldn't have state-funded schools and obviously that would include not having state-funded meals to these children who have iphones but can't afford lunch um again i worked in the school system i've seen this and Mm -hmm. it's montgomery county maryland (laughs) awful um, one of the richest counties in the entire country. Um, and why is that? It's because they're all feds. Ugh, what a cancer. Um, but so, you know, like women are like, well, these kids need to be fed. And obviously like the only way to feed them is like, if we, you know, if our tax dollars from the school go to feed these poor children and um, you know, that's just their brain thinking these children need to be taken care of somehow. That's obviously the solution. M- Michelle Obama told me, you know, that's it. Um, but really it's like, that is a symptom. It's not a problem to be solved necessarily, unless you want to really go to the root of the problem, which is, I mean, you know, we've got immigration issues, we've got welfare issues, we've got, 
um, like the splitting up of the family issues, it's, you know, again, that's like a symptom, but going to the root, like trying to bring anybody who does like get easily triggered to having that sympathetic re reaction, which I get, like, it's totally human. And you're a psycho if you don't feel bad for those kids or in like that sort of situation. Um, but yeah, trying to bring people back to the, what's the root of the problem. And I know Jesse, like, I'll let you take this because uh, I know Jesse, um, you know, lost a friend this year uh, because everything seemed to be the fault of the government. Right, Jesse? And like, mm -hmm. you just, you know, and but it's like, it is like so many things are. Well, so it, it, it was um, <laughs> I had a friend who was had really severe Trump derangement syndrome and could not handle like me not being as miserable as her about who our president was. And then, of course, COVID came and we had to lock down and I was ready to get back, you know, get back to life and get ready to get our kids back into school and stuff like that. And we just fundamentally disagreed on a lot of things. And she, I think COVID was just the last straw. We just disagreed on that. But and I know I'm not the only one. COVID had been the last straw for a lot of people, really. Um, it's just because the cognitive dissonance is just amazing. And, and and COVID was really pulling on all the heartstrings, all oh, the nurses, and I'm a nurse. So I watched a lot of my nurse friends completely get pulled into all the propaganda and think, thinking everything that we learned in nursing school, I know we learned a lot of the same things about immune health and how the immune system works, how a virus works, and everything we're being taught by the government or told by the government was counter to everything we learned in school. But I'm sitting here watching all of my friends who I sat in the class with completely eating this bullshit over and over. So I started getting, you know, a lot of, I guess I, I probably, a lot of people stopped talking to me about a lot of this stuff because they knew what my opinion was and they just disagreed. But, um, and didn't want to hear it. I don't care because, <laughs> you know, as a nurse, you, you advocate for your patients, even though they're not your patients. And I was watching people die that didn't need to die. I was watching people suffer that didn't have to suffer. And I wasn't just going to be quiet about it. And that's just my, that's just the way I am. Um, and I actually think that like Maddie and I both had lost friends throughout all of this, but we made really great friends by just speaking the truth and attracting like-minded people towards us. And we could actually work together at getting the truth out as much as possible. Um, so. Yeah, no, that, that does sort of give me hope that this whole COVID pandemic thing with the lockdowns woke a lot of people up to the fact that going back to the kid things, like who do you want raising your kids? Do you want it exactly. to be Fauci and, you know, all these so-called experts, or do you want to take control and, and be the one? So I guess it needs to be like a message of empowerment and yes. um, yeah, I mean like feeding your kids, it's like the most basic it's like mom one oh one. like the one job you have to do is feed them. And do you mm -hmm. really want to, like, even if it's somebody else's kid, do you really want to pawn that off on somebody else? Or do you want to uh, step up and, and have a more localized solution that, that isn't such like so cold hearted and distant as like some government program? Ugh. Yeah. 
Get well, so that gives that, that actually gives me another idea um, for other. Um, and even though we, even though I definitely saw like the crunchy organic, um, hippies and hippie moms and all those, cause like I kind of dabble in the, in the hippie arena. And it's, it was interesting to see how these people who are normally very critical of like what the government and big ag and, Mm -hmm. um, big pharma, like due to our food, our health products, our health care, all these people that, you know, have rightful criticisms and and have made like I it's funny because like I call myself like a hippie that loves property rights and actually shaves my legs so (laughs) I you know I I you know go to the health store I take a lot of supplements I like crystals I like essential oils I um I learned how to teach people how to do yoga like I I run in their circles and so like there's a lot of things that I know that everything that they believe in normally was turned on its head this year because of fear and they were different people. Like everything about them seemed to be different this year. Um, and totally unlike what their usual guiding principles or maybe not principles. Cause do they have any, um, <laughs> you know, but like what they so strongly held and believed in, that all got turned on their heads and all of a sudden the government were their saviors. It didn't matter. Like, I don't know, like they had their criticisms of Trump, but because of the Trump administration and Fauci and Burks, like they got to hold on to those people and they believed everything that was told to them by them. Even, even though like orange man bad, like, I don't know. Um, so, but those I do think are people that might be able to be won back or, um, you know, anybody who didn't completely go over the deep edge, or deep end, go over the edge or off the deep end. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, in those kind of categories, I feel like those are winnable people, but on, on again, subjects of like bodily sovereignty, um, you know, being responsible for your own health. Um, and again, like if they're moms, like you are responsible for the health of your child, not these people who are, have, you know, poisoned populations before. Yeah. Yeah, and they there are-, are some. I was going to say there are some really good. There's a really good charity called Voluntarism in Action, and me and Maddie had the ladies from there on our show <laughs> once. And if we are going to talk about how like charities or some other organization needs to step in and help people, like that's a really good one to push mm-hmm. because that really is kind of if you're on the if you're kind of on the line and you think you you're not quite sure you want to get out of government but you're always wondering, you know, who's going to do all this stuff. Well, there's charities like Voluntarism in Action that really does. They do they do help families who can't feed their kids. They really do help families who need to rebuild after a disaster. They do all kinds of charities. So, yeah. um, you know, there maybe there needs to be more like them, but that's a good place to start if you want to point them in a direction of some kind of charity that would help. Support people like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, we can't all just um, talk into microphones, I guess, at some point, right, yeah. we, have to, we have to walk the walk and, and show them like, this is another way that we can, we can accomplish right, yeah. these things, because you're right, it, like everything is a symptom of the problem. And it's, it's just so frustrating, because it's so typical of government, like, every time they come up with a policy or something, it's like, 
don't know if this is the best analogy, but it's like if you have cockroaches all over your house and you just keep stomping on them one at a time, you're never going to get rid of the cockroach. The cockroaches. To, right. Like get to the nest and like burn that fucking thing down. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to be stepping on cockroaches for the rest of your life. Exactly. At least you get your steps in. Yeah. <laughs> dad, that was like a dad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh man. Well, um, I don't know how much more time you guys have because we're coming up on about an hour here. Um, I mean, I could keep going, but you know, it depends on, do you have like any other direction or anything else you want us to hit on for you or with you? Yeah, I'm just enjoying this conversation. I, I don't get to talk to a lot of libertarian women, uh, especially in person. <laughs> so this is nice. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, I was thinking that, you know, there might be, there might be as far as like, you know, women not coming into the movement is there are, I have seen, and it's not true of every, you know, libertarian man or anything like that, but I have seen some very vocal and I know they're probably just joking around or just being silly, but they'll say things like, well, this is why we need to get rid of the 19th amendment and we shouldn't let women vote and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, for me, I'm not, tip, I don't really think voting does much for anyone, regardless of gender, but yeah. I don't think that if you're trying to, uh, I don't think that's really a good message. If you're trying to get women over here to tell them that they shouldn't vote yeah, um, or make kind of, and I get it. Like, I mean, I've made jokes about white liberal women and stuff like that, <laughs> but um, we do probably need to message ourselves a little bit better to try to appeal to them. Cause at the end of the day, it's like um, the more people we have that at least are thinking in that direction, the better we are as a society. And, yeah. you know, we do want more people to be anti-war. We do want more people to engage in voluntary interactions and respect other people's differences, respect other people's choices and no, as long as there's no harm done and that, that kind of mentality of like no harm, um, peaceful, um, engagement with others, um, and what that really means. Cause I think that a lot of times women on the left, they don't understand what that really means. Like they think that if we, everybody would just get the vaccine or if everybody would just you know, do this, then we would be peaceful, but they don't realize that that's force. And so maybe we need to spend a lot more time on explaining what force is and allowing And they assume, and they assume sillily, like <laughs> ridiculously, that when push comes to shove, if like that force would just as soon be applied to them, if it was like, you know, they don't mind. And, and it's not just females. It's on the left. It's the left in general. And I guess really like any statist, right? All they think they need is the right person in power, the right person at the helm mm -hmm. of this big apparatus, this machine, right? And really it's like, this machine sucks. So like, I'd rather not have anybody leading it or riding it. It's like, this machine needs to get put out to pasture and, um, you know, elephant graveyarded. And, but, so they always think, like, again, it's kind of the more broad status because the right thinks this, the left thinks this. They always think that, like, whatever the government kind of does when it's enacting force upon its opponents is okay when their person's in charge. And really, it's never okay, you know, because it could, we all realize that nobody's safe. Like, nobody is safe from these people. They do not care about human life. They do not care about us as citizens. I mean, all we are is tax cattle. And I don't know. Like, I, I mean, focusing. just 
I think a lot of it too is just this fear. I mean, it's not just women that have this. I think a lot of people that are on the right and the left are so afraid of what would happen if government wasn't so involved? Like we would just fall apart and it would just turn into complete chaos. We eat poison. Yeah, Wait, like we, already, we would we know <laughs> we would know not to like you know snort heroin or something. I don't know. It's yeah. like we know no, we know the basics of how to like survive, and we know that you're better off being you're better off being nicer to other people than being mean to them all the time. Is probably a good way to have like a nice cooperative society. I mean, there really is like the spontaneous order that really would happen if we, I mean, that's what government kind of is. It is a spontaneous, you know, uh, type of thing that happened over time. And it just, we need to be willing to let go of things that don't work and try things differently. That's all it is. It's this fear of letting go of things that have been in our lives forever, even if it's not working. And it is, I mean, that, that old saying where people prefer, you know, safety over freedom, but once they realize that there is no safety there, and I think exactly the right wing's getting yeah. a big dose of that right now with the, the whole yep. spying apparatus being turned on them. I was hopeful that the, the left would figure this out when, you know, the orange man got in there, but they were able to sort of, you know, harness that whole like Russia collusion thing and just distract them with all this other bullshit. They yeah. were beaten to death with propaganda that made them forget like things that actually mattered once upon a time for them. Um, and it was just orange man bad. Like the CIA was all of a sudden good. I mean, these people yeah. live in fear all the time. I don't, I don't think, I think it's hard for us to realize because we've already kind of made that jump. And so we don't, we're not afraid of losing friends. We're not afraid of speaking the truth because we've had to do it, but they don't have that you know, ability. And so in, if you can think back, like as a, like even think of a child who's abused at home and when they go to school, they fail everything because they can't focus. That's why these people can't learn because they're constantly anxious and, and constantly fearful of what would things would be like without this government apparatus and this corporate media telling them how to think. Yeah. And those are a lot of personal problems that you have to <laughs> yeah. solve for yourself and, yeah. you know, do, really do that me yes. time, that, that really hard self-work and self-mastery and spend time with yourself. But a lot of people don't realize how much they hate themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's also just so bizarre to me that, I mean, everybody is such a proponent of democracy and they believe that we have this representative oh. government. It's like, well, Okay, but if you take away the um, take away the government, if they're actually representing what we want right now, then people would come together and get those things for themselves anyway. Like, mm -hmm. why do you have to be for? Why does it have to be forced down everybody's throat? So that they're either yeah. representing us or they're not. And obviously, yeah. I don't think they are. But <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like if we didn't have um, government schools, we'll still have schools. If we didn't have Medicare, we'd still have healthcare. Like there's going to be things that we'd still have. They would just be different and it'd have to be operated differently. And God forbid, it might actually be better than what we have now. Yeah, than the huge bureaucratic <laughs> mess in pick pick an economic field, you know, like yeah. gross. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we wouldn't have roads. I know yeah, mm, no. definitely wouldn't have roads. Absolutely. No idea how we'd figure that out. <laughs> Oh, I've been meaning to ask you guys one more question about this because you, you talked about your 
possibly your upbringing had something to do with uh, the way you approach life and think about things. Do you guys have brothers and sisters? Yep. I'm an only child. You're an only Uh, child. But I had lots of cousins that I grew up with, so. Yeah, I had a ton of cousins and I'm Mm. the oldest of three. Um, So I was built, like we were just, I was just talking about this on um, our producer, Cam Harless, uh, his show, The Mad Ones. Um, Because we were talking about like, the stigma that tribes and tribalism has been receiving of late and, you know, rightfully so I think, you know, too much of anything is a bad thing. And we do know that um, tribalism is enhanced and fear of the other is enhanced in strained economic times, um, strained like societal times. And so, but like, you know, when you think of it in the context of tribe was your family, like that was your family group. Maybe you weren't blood related to everybody, but you were pretty close to everybody and related to probably a lot of them. And so, you know, we evolved as a species. I've read it somewhere recently where um, people are thinking that, you know, maybe we evolved to like live in groups of about 300 people. Like that was a tribe. Like, and it was, you know, it's evolved and conglomerated over time and clearly has done damage once once there was some kind of like power mechanism at the top that um you know had influence over other people's tribes and you know in very violent ways sometimes but i grew up with like a very loving supportive tribe like my Mm -hmm. family was like jesse just said like she did she was an only child but if she had a ton of cousins and like all those people around her that you know i'd say like we kind of joke as a family um um especially like my little sister we kind of bullied her you know like we were not easy on her but now she's fearless and she was able to stand up to bullies in school to like the kids that were getting bullied she was able to go put those losers in their place you know so like we as a family like made each other better and stronger um and I think that's that's the purpose like one of the purposes and beauties and lovely things that get to happen in a family and it's you know and the bigger the better I think like no matter what kind of dysfunction might be there you know it all is going to do something for you in the end did you have any brothers as well sorry oh I had a brother okay yeah I had one brother one sister got it and then a ton of guy cousins and then I was friends with a lot of guys. And like, so I think like a lot of the reason I am the way I am is because I had a lot of like positive male influence. Yeah. Like all, all my I was uncles, just say. all yeah. my uncles are great men. You know, my dad's a great guy, like grandfathers, like just yeah. really ordinarily heroic men, you know? So that, I think yeah. that has a lot of influence. That's kind of yeah. the I was getting at, like maybe the, that influence of the way their brains work or something kind of yep. influence the, the way you guys think i don't know yeah no so, i think yeah my my dad is a uh, mechanical engineer and my grandfather was a chemical engineer and i think <laughs> i think that made a huge difference in how they well they thought differently than most people did very you know analytical people and very um rational but at the same time they never thought of me as like oh you're just a girl so yeah. we're just going to like put pink on you and stuff. They showed me things that they were interested in. I went fishing with them and um, they were really into a lot of different, you know, scientific things. And so they would show me what they're working on. And my dad showed me how to use, uh, you know, uh, a wood saw and things like that. When he was building things, he, I helped him lift things and 
put things together. I was kind of like his son growing up in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, when I was getting into sports, it, he always encouraged me to play sports. Um, I did mention going into cheerleading once and I just looked at his face kind of fall when I mentioned it and that never happened again. I was a cheerleader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was definitely a daddy's girl. I cared a lot about his opinion. And um, so that made a huge difference. And my grandfather too was like just the best grandfather you could ever ask for. So. I, I think it does help build character to get both kind of perspectives. Like I have three sisters, so I, I think yeah. that had an influence on me as well. And it's like, yeah. it reminds me of, you know, like, well, you have a bunch of cats, Maddie, or I don't know if you have a bunch, but <laughs> maybe like two. Okay. So does Jesse. Like, so three my is, favorite, three is excess. <laughs> my favorite types of cats are the ones that grow up in a house that has a dog. Oh yeah, mine. Um, yeah. Just because I feel like they develop like a better personality or something. They're like, they, yeah, no, exactly. Because I got mine when I was still living with my parents, and um, we had two dogs, so they grew up thinking, oh, like we do dog things. Yeah. Like we hang out with our people. <laughs> like we do nothing except attach ourselves to our people. So yeah. you know, I'm surprised my cats aren't like with me right now as we're recording, but um, they're usually like glued to me, which is not a cat thing. Yeah. yeah that's interesting but so yeah it is the analogy i think applies <laughs> yeah it just seems like a very multifaceted issue that there's probably no right answer but i think we're we're getting somewhere with this this is pretty interesting and i know we're, we're coming up on time again so is um for anybody that wants to follow you guys listen to you guys where where do they find you what do you got going on <laughs> um, we're on, I mean, you can listen to us on any place you listen to podcasts, really. And um, I think we're even on Odyssey now. Um, I think. Is that right? Cam, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I think we're on Odyssey. And um, and then we have our, if you just want to go to our website, is voluntaryvixens.com and you can listen to us there. Um, we're part of um, the MLGA network, our Make Liberty Great Again network, which includes Cam from the Mad Ones. And um, his co-host Jessica, and there's other podcasts on there too. If you want to listen to those, there's uh, the Morning Drive with David. Thank you for your servers, Techno Agorist, and Lesbertarian. I think that's it, right? Yeah. And um, and then of course, if you want to follow us, just follow us on Instagram because that's where we're most active. But we're also on Twitter at Vixens Voluntary, and um, and then we have a Patreon if you want to donate to us at Vixens underscore Voluntary. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. I hope you guys had fun. This was a great conversation for me. And, uh, it's, it's a topic that I've been trying to sort of nail down and get to the bottom of because I, I do want more. Uh, I want the Liberty Movement to be much bigger, but I would like to have some more women involved in it too. Mm -hmm. And not just a bunch of uh, weird autistic libertarian guys that live in their parents' face. <laughs> yes, we but, need uh, both sides for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Thanks for coming on, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. All right. Well, that was the voluntary vixens. Really, really nice ladies. I was, I was glad I, I could get them to come on. They have a relatively new podcast, but uh, well, it's about as old as this one, as I mentioned, but they're pretty interesting ladies. And I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think we, um, 
I think we're touching on something with the whole women and libertarianism thing. Certainly haven't solved all the, uh, answered all the questions, but I, I think they brought up some pretty interesting points and the low hanging fruit being women with children. Um, and by low hanging fruit, it's still pretty high off the ground for libertarians to get. But one thing that, uh, Maddie mentioned after we wrapped actually, and I'd stopped recording that she wanted me to bring up was, I thought a very good point where, because we, we all know how Scott Horton talks about how you have to attack the, the right from the right and the left from the left, that we should probably employ that strategy within the libertarian party or the libertarian messaging where we have, uh, we attack women from the, the perspective of women or have women uh, going after women to get them more involved in libertarianism and the men can sort of handle, handle the men or you have to, you know, obviously you have to change your messaging because Believe it or not, despite what they tell you, there are differences between men and women. I, I know it, it, it's shocking, but they um, they actually touched on some of the just the way our brains work earlier on in the in this episode, where you know we're not supposed to say these this day and age that there are differences and that we think differently, and there's even you know differences between our in uh, our anatomies. But you know, uh, eventually these um, these things sort of uh, the reality sets in, and these differences rear their heads. I'm not going to say they're ugly heads, but they always come up and they present obstacles for us. So I think it is a probably a, a really good strategy to employ the old Scott Horton rule of attacking your uh, target. And they're, I'm not going to call them enemies either, but going after your target from where they're at and, and sort of, you know, you have to enter the, the conversation that they're already having in their head and, and relate to them on their level. So I thought that was a really good point. I wish we I could have um, Maddie eloquently put it on the podcast, but hopefully I got that uh, that across in uh, a way that would do justice for her. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening. I'm going to wrap there. Don't forget to support our sponsors and support the, the Voluntary Vixens. Go check out their podcast. They do a lot of cool interviews and things like that. And it's a, a very, you're going to get a very different perspective, especially from the crazy rants that you get from a guy like myself. So it could be a, a really nice change in pace for you guys if you're looking for another podcast and to get to know some of the uh, women in the libertarian movement. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.